0: My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we're going to talk about the importance of developing social and emotional health in our children. As most are aware, the opioid epidemic has become our nation's number one health crisis. Old drug prevention campaigns like Just Say No have proven to be ineffective. In studio today, we have two guests which are uniquely qualified to talk about strategies that are working. Michelle Palladini is a school resource officer with the Norfolk Police Department. Also joining us in studio is Derek Getchell, a man in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. Derek will share with us his story in the hopes that others may learn from his experience. All that and more coming up next on Chapters. I want to welcome Michelle Palladini and Derek Getchell to the program. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about the development of social and emotional intelligence in our youth today. And uh, both Derek and Michelle offer unique perspectives on this important issue. So welcome. Um, Derek, I was wondering if we could start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your story growing up and, and going through the Franklin schools?
1: Yeah, growing up in Franklin, I for most of my life, I, I felt like I came from a, a happy, healthy home. I was active in a lot of sports, playing a lot of sports as a kid. I was at the, on the football field, on the baseball field, on the wrestling mat. Um, I remember my mother was a good cook. My dad coached my sports teams, and I had a younger brother who was doing the same thing. So I felt like I came from a united family uh, that was heading the same direction, and, and I enjoyed my experience growing up.
0: Yeah, so so you had a real nuclear family. Um traditional suburban town i've heard you call it a cupcake suburb franklin
1: good place to grow up yeah i love growing up in franklin it, you know the schools were good the teachers were good there was a lot of healthy people uh, in my life and i felt like i had a lot of opportunities and was given a lot of good advice
0: mm-hmm. so at some point in, in your life uh, things started to unravel a bit you were a great athlete in high school uh, looking back very very well liked um, good family all from from all outside uh, uh, viewpoints i know i remember your dad coaching on the baseball fields everything seemed fine but but things were a little bit difficult for you
1: yeah as i got older um, my family dynamics started to change my father, um, fell into his own problems with substance abuse, and uh, it went from a very happy home to a home that was kind of divided. My mother went from being happy and go lucky, and I just could feel this, like, strife that was going on within the home. And how old are you at this point? I was probably about 13 years old.
0: 13, okay, that young, young age. Yeah, yeah.
1: and um, what I did with those emotions was I, I didn't admit that I had any negative emotions going on. I didn't admit that any of these things were bothering me. I kind of held them, all, held them inside, uh, hoping that they would go away. And hoping that my family would just naturally, you know, find its own solution to the problems that were occurring within my home.
0: So I assume you're the oldest brother you're the oldest in the the household and you're known for you really identify as an athlete. Yeah. So it must have been difficult to be emotional as a man is difficult enough as it is. And you're 13 years old and you're doing quite well in sports. The last thing you want to do is break down.
1: Yeah, the last thing I wanted to do was break down. The last thing I wanted to do was ask for help. The last thing I wanted to do was admit my family wasn't perfect. And I thought if I asked for help, it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. I thought by asking for help and admitting that I had emotional vulnerability, that I did have some insecurities, that everything wasn't perfect on the inside, that that wasn't how things were supposed to be. And that was a lie I told myself for a long time. Um, that asking for help wasn't an option. And, and actually, later in life, and continuing to this day, when I ask for help, it's one of the best assets that I have now. Yeah. Being able to talk about what's going on on the inside, being able to ask for help from people, whether it's advice, whether I need support. Um, in all assets of my life.
0: You know, in, in the, the show, this show is called Chapters, and it's really about talking about people, about um, the continuum of their lives and the narratives of their lives. And the reason why today fits in so well is we're talking about social emotional health for uh, young and old people. I mean, any, if there's no time, you can't start learning about it, right, Michelle?
2: hmm absolutely. Yeah,
0: and so, I mean, so here's Derek at 13 years of age, um, and and this is setting up a real problem for you. And the problem is rooted in your emotions and your inability to reach out for help.
1: Yeah, the problem that I, that I ended up having with substance abuse and, and with alcoholism, for me, they're, they're the same thing, mm-hmm. is I had a lot of emotional unmanageability mm-hmm. or my life became unmanageable. And my alcohol and substance abuse were certainly a part of that. But the driving force behind the alcohol and the substance abuse was my inability to handle negative emotions and negative thinking. Right. My inability to ha- process those emotions in a healthy way And deal with them so that they weren't reoccurring or they weren't reoccurring as often. And then find solutions and healthy ways to deal with those emotions Mm -hmm. but instead for someone like me I started drinking at a young age I did it in an innocent fashion I thought it was gonna be fun I thought it would make more people like me more I thought it would increase my popularity all those things I thought it would really increase like improve my social life and um, as I got older it started to progress and I drank more and more and I and I started to hang out with people who were doing other types of substances whether it be cocaine painkillers and then I got addicted to painkillers like a lot of people have and it led me to, um, to a, a heroin addiction. And, and it continually, progressively got worse. And the emotions that I never dealt with at a young age also continued to get worse and progress along with my alcoholism and addiction.
0: So hearing you talk about this now, um, if, if we're talking to educators, if we're talking to people like coalitions or, or anybody that's out there talking to the public, a lot of times we start talking towards the end of your story. In other words, we start talking to kids about, hey, don't do pain pills, don't pick up a joint, don't pick up beer. You never know. You never know what's in a joint. You know, harder drugs. We start talking out way out on your story there when you've identified that the problem was back at 13 years of age in social emotional health. And that's that's fascinating to me. Michelle, I want to bring you into the conversation. You have a tremendous amount of experience teaching social emotional health with both your uh, school resource officer position, but you're uniquely qualified with your your LEAP program. Can you tell us some something about uh, LEAP? Sure.
2: You know, I identified the same problems um, that, you know, that Derek indicated that a lot of our kids um, really don't know how to manage their emotional health. And unfortunately, our, you know, our school systems are, are burdened with, you know, testing and, and kind of the core curriculum requirements, math, science, history, English, that our kids aren't receiving emotional health. So I thought... We already have officers in the school. Instead of standing in front of groups of kids saying drugs are bad, you know, what can we offer our kids that really gets to the root of the problem? Because let's face it, our kids know drugs are bad. We need to start getting to some of these root problems, which is the social, emotional um, health and welfare of our kids. So that's really where the idea for the LEAP program was born.
0: It's it's, it's uh Actually, it's wonderful that we've evolved to this level, because we were talking before the show about the Just Say No campaigns mm-hmm. and that that sort of attitude. Um, and as a parent and as an older parent, um, you know, I look back and, and that's very much the, the strategies that we adopted. Um, and we have substance abuse disorder in my family. Um so it happens to people, all types of people, all walks of life, um, knows no boundaries. And I think uh, like any good science, this is an evolving science. And so now we, we're working our way backwards towards this social-emotional component and hoping to bring communities together talking around it, mm-hmm. about it around this LEAP program. LEAP stands, by the way, for Leadership, Empowerment, Awareness, and Protection. Uh, can you talk about some of the components of the LEAP program as it would apply to, in particular, say, middle school students?
2: Mm-hmm. It, we really target the middle school age because, as we've kind of already discussed, this is really where things start to shift and evolve. We know that kids at that age, there's a lot of changes happening in the brain. And if you actually look at the neuroscience from a developmental standpoint, a lot of our kids, you know, are really going through some some difficult um, times in their life that, They can't identify what's happening in their brains. They can't even identify the emotions that they're having. So how does kind of the LEAP program fit in there? When I first developed it, I I thought of having the P stand for prevention um, instead of protection. And what's really interesting about the word prevention, it's kind of a misnomer. We, We can't prevent all kids from having, you know, drug addiction, but we can bring awareness to the issue. And I think the way in which we do that is by educating our kids on some of the emotions that are going to pop up during their adolescence and how they handle them. So what are the avenues for help? You Mm -hmm. know, what can they go, who can they go to for help?
0: And we talked about one of the predictive factors of having issues. And frankly, whether it's uh, substance abuse issues, mental health issues, but trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it was really interesting, the discussion that we had earlier off air about uh, trauma is different for everybody. And, Derek, I love the way you identify with kids when you speak to schools um, about varying emotions. You had a very tra- traumatic event, and that was the division that happened in your family and the subsequent loss of your dad at a very young age. That's traumatic. But trauma for everybody is maybe for it's for somebody walking down the hallway and just not feeling right about themselves, or having no friends, or feeling lonely. Wouldn't, would what is is that what you drive at?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a saying in the in the recovery community that you know my story is the worst story. It's because because it's the one I lived. So every single person has a, a different perspective on life, and, and people deal and handle negative emotions or trauma, however you want to phrase it, in, in different fashions. And what what one thing might bother somebody to a certain extent but it might be really causing someone else a severe amount of unmanageability and they all vary but but we all as a as people we all have certain things that we can deal with and certain things that we don't deal with as effectively and michelle alluded to a little while ago that, that some people will pay the consequences for not dealing with trauma through going through a substance abuse experience or going through a really traumatic event and then not dealing with it. And then they end up trying to seek solutions to how they feel through drugs and alcohol. And that's how they pay their consequences for not dealing with it. And someone else who's walking through those same halls as a kid might go through a traumatic experience. They might never get to the depths of alcohol and drug addiction, but they will pay the consequences in their daily lives by not dealing with negative emotions through the amount of peace of mind and contentment that they have on a daily basis. So what we're talking about isn't so much just substance abuse. It's about feeling content and happy and peace of mind in your own skin and being able to process and deal with the things in life that don't go your way.
0: You know, that is like, that's the best advice I think a parent could possibly hear and and, and give to their kids. I know that I used to use the following uh, metaphor with my kids. It's like taking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just squeezing down on it. And the peanut butter and jelly are your emotions, negative emotions. And there's pressure. The pressure is not dealing with those. At some point, it's going to spill out and it's going to come out in some fashion. Some spills out in substance use disorder, addiction, alcoholism, etc. Some wind up having anger issues or, or mood disorder of a whole host of things can happen wrong, failed marriages, on and on and on and on it goes. So we're talking about just good emotional hygiene here, and and that's really what we're talking about. So, Michelle, um, you take the sleep program and you actually use this model to train other school resource officers in other communities mm-hmm. and, and teach them how to become Michelle, Michelle Palladini's.
2: Right. Right. So it's taking it's taking the model and making it applicable to any community, anybody who works with youth Mm -hmm. um, so that this this model and these methods and the curriculum can be replicated to to help even more kids than, Mm -hmm. you know, just here in our our small community.
0: Yep. So. Um, we, we are launching, I say we, the Safe Coalition is launching a speaker series, um, which actually started with Derek Getchell in the schools last year to tremendous success. Um, and we have, um, uh, you have received many, many requests, Derek, for, for more speaking engagements, and as a result of that, Um, you're partnering up with Michelle. Michelle, I'm just curious as to pieces of advice, little nuggets of advice that you would give parents along the way, because we're speaking to both parents and kids. Obviously, middle school kids are going to hear things differently than parents. How do you talk to parents about getting in touch with their kids' social emotional health and healthy ways of of talking to their own children and Mm -hmm. teaching them about it?
2: It's really all about connection. Um, We we live in a society that is so disconnected. um, We don't even know we need connection. (laughs) Um, We're living fast paced lives. Everybody's going from point A to point B, and we're not even seeing you know the journey in between. So really, how do you connect with the kids in a way you know that's truly authentic?
0: Okay, truly authentic, authentic authenticity. And I know when Derek speaks, I've been in the audience. That's the message that the kids immediately feel the authenticity this is a young man that walked I say Derek's a young man he is a young man he walked the hallways of Franklin High School very recently um, and it's very clear early on that he's authentic um, authenticity does cut through doesn't it mm-hmm. uh, at, at all age groups it um, does being willing to be vulnerable
2: mm-hmm yeah, we, we often put ourselves in boxes, you know, and we, we set up a hierarchy that, you know, I'm the parent and you're the child. Um, and I can't be authentic with you because, you know, I, I'm not able to share my unique experiences for a variety of reasons. Maybe as a parent, I'm still wounded from my childhood. Maybe as a parent, I don't want to be vulnerable with my child. Um, maybe you feel like you don't want to put that idea into your child's head by sharing maybe what you went through. Um, so we kind of have to break out of those kind. Co- those confines um, that we've that we've set for ourselves, and really connect with our kids on, on a really deep level.
0: So you're really talking about connections, um, and that and that's your goal with your program, and would certainly be the goal with, with the speaking series and and ongoing follow ups in those communities, um, connecting schools, parents, police, and communities. Uh, to for positive uh youth development is mm-hmm. what it is what uh, leap is all about and and ultimately what this programming is all about um Derek can you imagine back to say 13 14 15 16 years old um what what was the was there much talk about this type of thing in the schools then
1: I wasn't the best listener in class yeah so maybe I I should ask someone else yeah. but I don't I don't know and I think it's If there was, I don't remember a significant amount of authenticity behind it. I mean, it's easy. If you go through a traumatic experience and you come out the other end and you learn how to talk about this stuff and process these emotions and identify them as well, you can come out in a lot more authentic fashion. It seems very real. But if they were talking about it, I wasn't listening because I was a closed-minded kid and I had all the answers. And quite frankly, I didn't want to talk about this stuff because I was embarrassed about it. And I was fearful if I admit this, what other people will think of me.
0: Mm -hmm. And there was something that was preventing you from from going to a coach or somebody else and saying, hey, I need some help. (laughs)
1: always fear. fear fear is the root cause of right. uh, of 99.9% of the problems that go on especially within my mind and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's universal with I people so. in general yeah. mm-hmm. fear what others think fear I'm not going to be okay and most of it is all rooted in the fear I won't be okay. Sure. Fear if I tell someone something, they won't like me anymore. Fear if I'm alone, I won't be okay.
0: And as you as you grow on, is fear if you reveal what's really going on inside, you're not going to be on the football team. You can forget about any scholarship opportunities, playing in college, etc., etc., etc. So that's got to be a mounting, a mounting obstacle, a mounting obstacle.
1: It does, and it continues to grow. And grow and grow and get worse and worse and worse and, and before you know it, you're you're driven by fear everything mm-hmm. that you do and your thinking pattern because everything you do your thinking is is fear-based
0: so i'm going to bring up one other fear-based thinking that most parents have and that is my god i hope my son or daughter never ever tries any hard drugs never gets involved with drugs and alcohol and becomes one of the statistics that we're talking about. That is that is a real palpable fear that every single parent that I know has. Michelle, rolling this back, and that's really what you're doing is rolling the clock back. Where do you where does a parent start? And and I think you've kind of answered this already, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in just exploring that. Where does a parent start? Because most often I hear parents talking about this maybe around ninth, tenth grade.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so can you? I know that some of the strategies you teach talk about early interventions. So mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I mean we're you're starting at birth, you know, you're loving your children, you know, and I think a lot of us, you know, prof- um, especially in a professional capacity, we don't like to talk about love, you know, that's that's way too touchy feely. That's nothing that a police officer should be giving any parent advice on. Um, but it does come down to that. It's letting your child know that, you even when they do make a mistake or have a strong emotion you're going to love them regardless um, I talked to my daughter who's only seven years old you know she she knows about emotions she knows about you know very s- superficial stuff about drugs but we we talk really early on because I want her to know that when she does make a mistake or she does have a strong emotion I'm there for her unconditionally so it's really kind of like you said rolling back the clock and talking to kids very early about the emotions and I identifying them. You know, we'll play a game around the dinner table. Um, and helping kids identify emotions is really important. You know, I'll ask um, the kids at the dinner table, you know, what was your proudest moment today? You know, because we want them to start not just how was your day, because we know they're not going to give us an answer. That's the most, you know, rhetorical question, because the answer is going to be good, always. You know, Especially what you... Especially as they do you... <laughs> become teenagers. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we start these games early, you know, and, and the kids really, you know, really enjoy playing these games now, you know. What made you angry, today? What made you feel sad today? Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of ways we can really engage with our kids surrounding emotions. You know, we don't need to sit and give them a lesson on drugs. We can just talk about, you know, how was your day in a way that is, you know, real and applicable to their lives.
0: So the message I'm getting from both you and Derek is it's not about the drug, it's not about what you choose to self-medicate with, it's mm-hmm. the fact that you feel that you have to self-medicate. Now, I may do that with Lay's potato chips, I may do that by uh, uh, going down to the casino every other night, I may do that by having three extra affairs, whatever the activity it is that I am trying to escape the noise in my brain. And self-medicate with, uh, and and is a destructive activity as opposed to maybe uh, working out or something like that. What do you, what, what are your thoughts on that, Derek?
1: No, I, I, agree. I, I was about 24 years old. Mm-hmm. This is a, a life-changing moment that happened for me. I was about 24 years old. I had been through about 40 rehabs, and I was always blaming the drugs and the alcohol. The drugs and the alcohol are the problem. Once I just stop doing the drugs and the alcohol, everything's going to work out. So I get, I finally get eight months sober. It's the longest uh, sobriety i would had since I was probably 12 years old, the longest stretch. And I ended up picking up a drink or a drug again. I thought I was doomed for the rest of my life. And about two months later, I came into contact with a guy who gave me advice that changed my life. And he said, Derek, you cannot blame the drugs and the alcohol for the problems that you were having at eight months sobriety. You had been divorced from drugs and alcohol for eight months. Your problem was your thinking. Your problem was your inability to deal with life as it unfolded. Your problem was an inability to deal with things that didn't go your way. He goes, you were consumed with self-centeredness and fear. You were consumed with resentment. You were consumed with self-pity. You need to find a way to process those emotions so you feel content. And he said, when you feel content and happy in your own skin, you will never feel the urge or the desire again to pick up a drink or a drug. If you want happiness and contentment, you need in sobriety. You need to find happiness and contentment, and you will never need to self-medicate again. In the last week, or was it July 4th? I just celebrated four years. Congratulations! That's that's fantastic. And it's all centered around that positive thinking, though.
0: And yeah, and you know, you just described about everybody I know. I can I can only speak from my own experience. I I am not an alcoholic and I'm not an addict, but I have had points in my life in my 57 years where I have wanted a bigger house, a bigger car, more money, more this, more that, more this, more that, and you get the drill.
1: And that was one of the biggest lies that I told myself growing up is is always looking for those outside things to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those outside things are good. They can add stuff to your life, sure. right? whether it's sports a girlfriend, money, cars, houses, whatever it is you're reaching for, those are good, it's good to have goals. But when they're the sole source of your supply, and that's where all your peace of mind's coming from, those things are always moving parts. Those things come and go as we go, relationships come and go, jobs come and go. So if those if those are the only things that are making us happy. We're setting our happiness and our peace of mind. Our foundation's not very solid. That's those a, are moving parts.
0: There's so, nothing wrong with a big car. There's nothing, or not a big, big house and a beautiful car. It's why. It's why am I getting it? And you guys are, are really drilling down to the root, the root cause. And couldn't we all use that introspection? Yeah,
1: and, mm-hmm. and once, a lot of times, once you get those things, it's never enough. You're right. going to want more. Or once you get them, you can't enjoy them because you're so scared you're going to lose them. Yeah. So you don't actually get to enjoy it, enjoy it once you have it. Yeah. But those things are all great if you have peace of mind, whether you have them or you don't have them. Right.
0: So, Michelle, when you're talking to a seven-year-old, you're really setting up a seven-year-old with a lot of peace of mind. Right. And comfort when you're talking to them that way.
2: Right. And it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, the the typical, you know, mom, dad, cookie cutter colonial with the white picket fence out front. You could come from a single parent family. You could be raised by a grandmother. You know, it doesn't matter. What matters is that that child has a connection with an adult that's meaningful consistent and they're providing them with the tools they need and making the time you know we we live in a society where we're we're glued to our phones you know we're fast-paced we're busy Um, but when my child comes to me and wants to talk to me she doesn't get you know me putting my hand up and saying hold on a minute you know I'm giving her my undivided attention so she knows she matters in that moment
0: you know Michelle it just occurred to me that you know relationships um (laughs) with anybody uh, take time to foster and grow, and they take a lot of maintenance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the metaphor that I would use is if your garden, you've got wilting flowers and and you don't water them after a little while, they die and you can water them all you want and they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. And I think my question centers around this. I guess the answer would probably be it's never too late to try. But this is really something ideally that that needs to be learned and practiced at a very young age um, Mm -hmm. and not just started in high school because you think that's the age. You're you're so focused on drugs and alcohol that that's the age we're going to start doing this Mm -hmm. maintenance work. Is that an effective strategy waiting until then?
2: Definitely not. <laughs> you know, we need to start early, and I think you know one of my my favorite uh, sayings. You know, for for my program in particular is is surrounding building villages. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do we get our society and our communities? Back to this, you know, village approach to raising kids because it can't just be the parents, it can't just be the school, it can't be just the police department, you know, and we have people call the police station all the time looking to fix a problem, you know, we're the fixers. And and we go to the house to put a band-aid on a problem that started well before we arrived on scene. You know, it, it started in childhood. So how do we bring these different networks together to work in tandem to really help grow, you know, successfully? kids.
0: Right. Right. So it takes it takes a whole new almost a new language for mm-hmm. communities to learn.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And Derek, you're a coach. Uh, now you're in school. Uh, it took a lot of work for you to get there. And I've heard you say there's one thing you value more than anything else. And you put before everything else. And that's peace of mind.
1: Yeah. P- peace of mind today is the most important thing to me,
0: regardless of the fact that you are kind of in a place in schooling and and you've got this wonderful coaching career that you thought you'd never get back again
1: yeah I didn't think I would ever get <laughs> once I admitted i had a drug problem I thought I would never get a job again for the rest of my life but that's all that self-centered fear that' some that existed within my thinking but um when I'm when I have a clear mind and I'm focused on the right things when I have peace when I have peace of mind everything else works out just just fine
0: yeah so i mean i i I will just want to emphasize this derek in case we've got kids listening uh or parents of children that that uh and and they could be young adults or adults as well adult children um you know a lot of people would may be suffering from the thought that it's too late that my son or daughter's story's been written um and I, i just want you to comment on that because peace of mind is available to people
1: no, totally, and there's always hope. And whenever and, and this is hard for for people to understand. And I've watched drug addiction since I was 15, mm. so I've had a lot of a lot of experience and exposure to this. But when I hear people talk about, especially when it comes to substance abuse and alcoholism, and they talk about painful stories and painful experiences, I actually get not ex- excited's not the right word, but I know that pain is the greatest motivator that's going to cause someone to become willing to change. And when the pain of using drugs it gets great enough, because at the beginning, there's some rewards, it can fill the void, it can make you feel content, but that's very short lived. And then what happens is people continue to take the alcohol, continue to take the drugs, and the alcohol and the drugs no longer fill the void, they no longer stop the pain. And then someone is, they can't get high, and then they can't stop feeling the pain anymore. And when they get into that destructive lifestyle, it can become very painful, very lonely, very unmanageable. And that's when people become willing to surrender. So the more pain that someone experiences through addiction, the more willing they're going to be to accept the help and become open-minded and admit that they actually need help. So pain motivated me to change.
0: I... I love that man. I, I I really do because what you're talking about is resilience. You're talking about developing resilience, right, Michelle? And, Absolutely. and how how would you define resilience and through Derek's story?
2: It's the ability to, to bounce back, the ability to find that strength within yourself. You know, to handle anything that comes your way. You know, that's that's why we're building strong kids. That's why we need to come together as a community to help people grow in resilience, to know they're going to be supported.
1: And a lot of where where I got a lot of my resilience from and learning how to deal with life and life unfold was asking for help. And I always thought to be resilient, you had to be independent. Mm -hmm. To be resilient, you had to be you had to walk with a tall chest Everything that bothered you deflected off you, nothing got to you, and you just strolled through life and you handled everything fine. When I started asking for help, when I had, and this goes for my parents as well, or my mother as well, when she started going to support groups to deal with what I, I was going through so she could learn how to treat it. When she asked for help, the family learned how to deal with the problem. And when you learn how to deal with the problem, you start living in the solution.
0: Whatever the problem is.
1: Whatever the, what, problem, whatever is. the problem is. But you... asking for help is huge.
0: Yep. Yep, And, you know, on chapters, we have we have interviewed people that have had cancer. We've interviewed people that have had multiple uh, uh, brain hemorrhages. We've, we've interviewed people that have been up against personal problems. Um, I love stories of resilience. I love stories of courage. For me, courage is, is the ability to walk through fear. And, and one of the things that I learned from people like you, Derek, from people like you, Michelle, is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay not to feel okay, because we've been trained for so long in our society culturally that bad emotions, that sadness, that pain, that fear are terrible things and they're things to be avoided. Well, my gosh, no wonder why people come home from work, put their briefcase down and say, quote, I need a drink Mm -hmm. because they need a drink. They need something to medicate themselves with. I was in sales for 28 years. Um, When you come home with no commission, you need a drink. I mean that was common thinking. Okay, what I really needed was some meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, what I really needed was some peace of mind. And so, uh, you know, I find it I find it exhilarating too when I, when I especially when I hear you guys talk because um, I mean you can see the impact on kids uh, when they understand that it's okay to not be okay and to be in that state for a little while. There's pretty much nothing you can't go through. Uh, nothing seems like mm-hmm. it's terminal. Would that be right?
2: Yeah. And, and we as adults need to model that ourselves for our children. And I think in order for us to stop this cycle, we have to be okay as adults, as the adults in the kids' lives, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent or a coach, we need to be able to model this sort of resilience in saying that, yeah, you know what? Today, I'm not feeling great. You know, I'm feeling sad today. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to continue on that's resilience
0: yeah that is resilience and and you're right about modeling um, we have to uh, model that behavior Derek you're currently a coach you're uh, you're headed off you're currently at Bridgewater uh, uh, studying um, where what's the future hope for you
1: I'm not sure I I don't know if I want to become end up becoming a teacher if I want to try to pursue a coaching career Um, I'm just trying to just right now just finish my college degree I'm on the 15 year plan I'm I'm gonna come out of it with a bachelor's degree not a PhD but hey you know
0: yep yep I hear you what can you do I hear you um I I I know no
1: matter where which direction I go if you have healthy and positive thinking the result of whichever path I decide to take is going to be have a healthy and positive result. If I bring a broken, sick, negative mind down either path, I'm going to go, I'm going to end up getting negative results.
0: That, I mean, what a statement, right? So what you you don't define yourself by what you do. You define yourself by who you are. And, and there's a huge difference. If there's a huge difference because what we do can go and come. Come and go, come and go, come and go. Opportunities come and go. But who you are doesn't change and you're good there. You're all set. Michelle, how about you? You've got uh, this wonderful program. I Every time I go to Norfolk or I touch King Philip or mention your name, you're, you're, you're on the Advisory Council of the Safe Coalition. But all I hear is how great, great you are. And I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. You're having a real impact. Um What's your what's your goal uh, for the LEAP program and for yourself as you move forward?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see the program, you know, go national um, for the sheer purpose of empowering communities and helping kids. You know, at the end of the day, I get to say I have the greatest job in the world because I'm touching the lives of kids. And, And that's all I can ask
0: for. Yeah. What could be more gratifying than that? You know, I just want to thank you and Derek for coming out today. It's been a terrific show. If anyone would like more information on having Michelle and Derek out to your school system or uh, anywhere, for that matter, in a public forum where they can speak on this topic, you can drop us a line at the Safe Coalition Facebook page. uh, That's safecoalitionma.org is our website. You can find email contact information there, and I'm sure that uh, we can arrange to have them come out. So for Derek Getchell and Michelle Palladini, my name is Jim Derek saying thanks again for listening to Chapters.